0: Um, another analogy would be what's on my wife's uh left hand her ring her ring hand uh her, her ring finger. Um, she wears two rings and those ladies who have been married here in the United States it's traditionally you get two rings right? You get your first ring which has the diamond and goes and makes you go ah and your girlfriends go oh my gosh and tell me the story and that's when it's all you know hey we're going to get married and that's when all the other dudes look and go uh ah. Well, there's the ring that's in. So, you know, that's what happens. Um, and then when you actually say, I do, you get a new ring put on your finger, right? So now you have two rings. The first ring, the ring of, of the, uh, with the diamond on it, the engagement ring, says, you know, we're getting married. This is what's happening. We, we now, for all intents and purposes, are, are as exclusive, exclusive as you're going to get. And you have this exclusivity, but you don't have the benefits of marriage yet, right? But when you put that second ring on, now you have the full benefits of marriage. And so what's basically happened is in Jesus' first coming, he's put the engagement ring on. And what's interesting is that in the Bible, it even talks about the church, this thing that, was, that just got started as a result of Jesus being here it is Jesus' bride. And so there's an engagement ring there. And then when Jesus returns, he puts the other ring on and he says, Now you get the full benefits of the kingdom. So we enjoy the the, the kingdom in part right now, which is why we still see things happening. Um, But we will ultimately one day enjoy the kingdom in all of its fullness if we repent, metanoia, and enter the kingdom of heaven, make that decision to follow Jesus as king, as Lord. So this is the gospel. What is the good news? Three things. And this is it. This is as simple as it is. Jesus emptied himself. He became a human being. Secondly, Jesus died on a cross as a substitute for your sin and my sin, and he raised back to life to free us from Satan's sin and death. And thirdly, Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to bring his kingdom in its fullness. And we're told uh, throughout uh, scripture especially in Matthew 19:28 we don't have time to read that now but in Matthew 19:28 Jesus is going to recreate all things new new bodies for us new earth new Jerusalem new heaven it's going to be awesome and so we get to enjoy the benefits of the reign of Jesus his perfect will occurring so is God all powerful and not all loving or is he all loving and not all powerful the answer is yes he is all loving and he is all powerful. We see it in his first coming and we see it in his second coming. In his first coming, he showed us that he was all loving and that he died for you and for me. That he gave up the glory of heaven so that he could be like us, be a human being. We see that he's all powerful in his first coming because he died on a cross, but death didn't hold him in the grave. Praise God. He he, he was raised back to life. He defeated death. That's more power than anything that I've ever seen. He also shows that he's all loving and all powerful in his second coming. He's all loving in that the pain and the suffering that we have now—we're told in the last book of the Bible, in the Book of Revelation—that he will wipe away all of our tears. That when when we see him again, we will see his scars in his hands where he was nailed to the cross, and his feet. The, the hole in his side where a spear was thrust through, we'll see his scars and we will, we will look at him, the suffering God, and all of our suffering then will be redeemed in his presence. The things that were done to us and the things that we've done to others. And so he's all-loving that he heals us perfectly in his second coming. He's all-loving in and in, all-powerful in his second coming and that when he comes, he will put Satan, sin, death underneath his feet and once and for all crush them and they'll be, they'll be just obliterated. That's the end of all of this, that wars against God. So he is all-powerful. <clears throat> he is all-loving. If we just live in, the, in this in-between time, because we live in this, the kingdom's here, but it's not yet here. If we live in this kingdom time without that perspective, then we are going to be fatalists or blind optimists. Naive optimists. We're, we're going to blame God. You know, all of these, these ways that we respond, we're we're going to respond in that way if we don't see the tension of the kingdom here, but not yet. I said earlier, living the gospel, living the good news of the kingdom is the only way we're going to thrive in this in-between time. So I want to talk about, just uh, in the remainder of our time together, how do we live in this in-between time? So you're going to need to get your Bibles, because we're going to flip through Matthew in a little bit. How do we live in this in-between time? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, please. Matthew chapter 6. Every passage we're going to read is going to have this forward back sense to it. Matthew 6, verse 9. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray. He says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, set apart, be your name. And listen to he says. Your kingdom come. So it's a forward kingdom. It's not here yet. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth, in the in-between, as it is in heaven. Forward, back. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus tells us we have to pray in this in-between time for our daily bread, for deliverance from evil, for forgiveness, for the ability to stand up against temptation. We have to pray for God's will, which is perfectly realized in the kingdom to come, to be realized today in the in-between time. The only way that this is possible is in that second word up there in verse 9. Father, Father, this sovereign king is daddy. What Jesus is saying is when you can see the kingdom to come in the hands of a loving daddy, you will come to him and you will say, daddy, I hurt. Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, they hurt. Daddy, they are being uh, forced to endure this injustice. Daddy, we're oppressed by evil. Daddy, Daddy, help us. Bring your kingdom today. Bring your will today. Now, I'm not the greatest dad. And there's one person in this room who would say, yeah, he's not the greatest dad. That's my wife. But she would probably say, because she loves me, he does his best and he does a good job. But I'm a little less generous to myself than she is because um, I know my faults I know my frailties. I'm trying my best and not all of us have dads that tried their best. I mean just to be honest some of you when I'm talking about daddy, you're just picturing your dad and it is not a good picture. I just want to encourage you in this just this one thing right here. you don't evaluate God as father based on your dad you evaluate your dad based on who God father is and when you do that all earthly dads always always don't measure up even the best dads and so for me you know my you know i want my children to have this vision of God as daddy as best as possible but i know i'm just you know i'm frail and i mess up and i bonk but my my biggest goal my biggest desire is that they wouldn't view god like me but that they would view god and then say okay how does dad measure up and where did i see the grace of god at work in his life filling in the gaps mm-hmm. and this daddy this perfect daddy promises that he will interact with us in the in between time and feed us when we're hungry and free us when we're oppressed and give us strength to stand up to temptation he's a good daddy and Jesus, the Son of God the Father, says, Ask him to do these things in the in between time. Turn with me to the right a couple pages to Matthew chapter 10. We'll look at another aspect of this living in this in between time. Matthew chapter 10. <clears throat> What's happening is Jesus, he had about 120 followers, we're told. 70 of them were really close. Twelve of them were really, really close. And he just picked the twelve that are going to be really, really close to him. And in verse 5, he sends them out on mission. It says this in Matthew 10, verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, listen to their message, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. So Jesus sends his followers out, his disciples out, and what's the message that they have? The same message Jesus had. The kingdom's here. And then they demonstrate that the kingdom's here. How do they do that? They heal the sick. They free people of demons. They raise people from the dead. They do the works of the kingdom to come, the forward kingdom. They do the works of that kingdom today in the in-between time to demonstrate that, yes, it is here. So here's the second way that we live the gospel. We, We live the gospel by performing the deeds, the good news deeds of the kingdom to come today. So we pray for the kingdom to come, but we also perform the deeds of the kingdom to come today. That means we pray for healing, That means we also work healing. That means we pray against demonic oppression and we work against demonic oppression. That means we pray that people will have food and we provide food for people. So we perform the deeds of the kingdom to come as Jesus' representatives here today. I'm not going to spend much time on this one because when Joel occurs, Pastor Joel, comes uh, next week, he's going to spend his whole message talking about these deeds of the kingdom. And so you'll just have to wait to hear more about that. Is that okay with you guys? Yeah, because yeah, I don't want to steal his thunder and him show up and you'd be like, oh, we heard that last week. Plus, we'd be here for an extra, you know, 20 minutes or so. We don't want to keep you, too, keep you beyond that. Um, so that's the, the second way. Turn with me to the end of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 28. So we we pray the the good deeds of the kingdom of heaven today. We perform the deeds of the kingdom of heaven tomorrow, today. And then in Matthew 28, we see that we proclaim. We preach. We proclaim, all of us, the good news of the kingdom of tomorrow, today. Verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples... Wait, I thought there were twelve. There were. But one of them betrayed Jesus... And then he hung himself. So there's 11 now. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, Now listen to what he says. Uh, some of you have read this many, many times, but listen to it in light of what we've been talking about today. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What's he saying there? I'm king. I'm sovereign. I have it all. Verse 19, Go, that's the word of a king speaking to his subjects, right? Go, I command you, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The end of the age. He's talking about, I'm with you to the very end of this engagement period. I'm with you all the way until the new ring comes on when I return. I have all authority and power. Therefore, when I send you out in my name, I send you out in my authority and in my power. I'm sending you out to proclaim the good news of tomorrow today. Proclaim it. It is our privilege if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus you've turned to him, you've been baptized in his name, you're part of his community of people, if that's you, it is your privilege to proclaim the good news of the king. It is your right to do that, no matter what any government would say. It is your responsibility to do that, no matter what myth or lie you hear that causes you to be silent. This is our time to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of tomorrow today. So he says, do this, make disciples in verse 19. Make disciples. What does that mean? It means that you come up to somebody who's not in the kingdom of of heaven, who's in the kingdom of themselves or of this world, of this age, to use the words from, from what we read today, and you say to them, here's the king. Here's the kingdom. Do you want to get in? Do you want to come with me? Because I was once not a part of the kingdom. And here's, how, here, here's what it means. Here's the good news about it. Jesus, the king, he emptied himself of his kingdom. He came. He lived among us. That's Christmas. He died on a cross. He was resurrected back to life because of your treason and my treason. That's Easter. And he's coming back. And when he does, we're going to enjoy him perfectly. And that's what you do. And you share the king and the kingdom with people. That's how you begin to make disciples. And then it says this in verse 20, Teach them to observe all I've commanded you. That's when you say, Here's what the king has said. And now we obey him. Here's what the king has commanded us to do. The life that he's expecting his citizens to live. And so we teach one another how to do this. But there's more to it. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations. The words go, therefore, it has this sense of where you're at, where you're moving. So that's when you're going to Starbucks. That's when you're going to the grocery store. That's when you're going to work. When you're going to school, make disciples there in your house, in your neighborhood. But it also says make disciples of all nations. That's why we go beyond the borders of our country. That's why we go to other continents. That's why we share the good news of the kingdom with other people. And some of you, God is going to be calling you to go on short-term mission trips to help uh, you know, spread the good news of the gospel. Some of you, God will call full-time. You'll leave this church and we won't see you again because you'll spend the rest of your days in a foreign land. And God may be laying that on your heart today. He may be right now just calling you and, and maybe just putting that unction in your heart to go to all nations until the end of the age. You won't go alone, you'll go with the king. So we pray, we perform, we proclaim. You like how I'm doing all these P things? <laughs> Catching on? The last one actually starts with a, a P as well. Look with me in verse 24 or chapter 24. Here's the last way we live in this in-between time. And there's so much more, and we don't have time to go into this. Um, as I've been preparing for this message, I've been reading the Gospel of Matthew, and if you start approaching the Gospel of Matthew thinking about the kingdom of heaven, it, it just blows your mind. And in fact, we're in this series for three weeks. Let me encourage you just to read the Gospel of Matthew once a week for the next three weeks. Just saturate yourself in it. It's 28 chapters. That's, uh, yeah, 28 chapters. That's just four chapters a day. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Read it every day for the next three weeks. Just immerse yourself in the kingdom. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 Jesus has been talking about, I'm coming back. The wedding band is coming on. Berlin's going to be overthrown. My kingdom is coming. And in verse 36, he says, concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the sun. So Jesus says, I, I don't even know. But the Father knows. So what that means is, next year, December 21st, 2012, when all the planets and everything aligns, and the Mayan calendar gets reset, we're just going to go to bed and wake up the next morning. Unless Jesus comes earlier in the year. Or today. What that means is we don't know when he's going to come. And think about how, think about how prideful it is to think that this universe, everything's going to change when our planet gets in line with all these other planets. When the universe, which revolves around earth, didn't we already determine that it doesn't revolve around earth? But think how prideful that is. And Jesus says, I don't even know. I'm just going to be praying for you, and people are going to be worshiping me, and then all of a sudden, Father's going to say, Son, go get them. All right, Dad. Verse 37. As were the days of Noah. He's talking about Noah who built this giant boat during a time of flood, or before a flood, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And what happened in the days of Noah is that the wicked perished and the righteous were saved. So that's what he's talking about. Verse 38, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and playing their Wii and PS3 and you know drinking their kappa mocha chinas. And it says, Until that day when Noah entered the ark, And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then, at that time, two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, he says, stay awake. Open your eyes. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but know this... That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And what that means for us is that we need to prepare to meet the king of tomorrow, today. We need to live this day. And I this is something I don't know. I, I just I wonder if it's because I'm so young that I just don't have that perspective like I want it. That I need to live this day as though this is it. That I may not, you know, that it doesn't matter if Social Security is still around or if my stocks rebound or anything like that. It doesn't matter. Maybe I'll live to see that, but maybe he comes back today. So I plan for that, but I live as though he's coming right now. You know, Maybe that means when I put my daughter to bed, that's the last time I see her on this earth. Maybe that means when I kiss my wife goodnight that we will see each other again in glory. Maybe it means that Jesus is coming back today. So I prepare for that. I live for that. If we have that perspective that Jesus is coming back today, that changes the way we pray about failing nuclear reactors. We pray with an urgency, right? We do. But we're also pleading with the king, come back, come back. Make me ready. Make me prepared to see you as though it were today. It changes the way we go to work. We're we're no longer just annoyed with the person who's in the cubicle next to us or who sits across the way and has really bad breath. We're no longer annoyed with them. We're thinking, if he comes back right now, I'm gone. You're still here. And it changes, it gives us an urgency, it gives us a sense of, I need to proclaim, I need to perform the deeds, I need to pray, it, it just frames everything. The wedding band, when his kingdom comes, when he comes back, that's it. So it changes the way we live our life, it changes the way we approach our work, it changes the way we pray, it changes everything. There's a beautiful image that Jesus has given to us. That we, sometimes, those of us who've been walking with Jesus for a long time as His disciples, that when we think about it, we just don't tend to think of it as, you know, your kingdom has come and your kingdom will come. And sometimes we don't think about it at all, and that's the image of the Lord's Supper. Turn with me, just one page over, if you will, Matthew 26, verse 26 the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before He was crucified on the cross, here's what happens. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples. And He said, Take, eat, this is My body. So they're observing the Passover meal, and the unleavened bread is given to Jesus. And Jesus says, Take this bread... This is my body, which is broken. Eat it. Verse 27, And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Now listen to what he says about the cup. Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I'm here, I will die for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he says in verse 29 I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine again until I drink it new with you. Where? In my Father's kingdom. The cup points us to the Christ who came, who died, whose blood was spilled for your sin and for my sin. For all who would receive it is the forgiveness of our treason. And it's also the cup that reminds us He's coming again. And there will come a day when all of us who have submitted to Him in in this life, in this age, and said, You are King. He will hand us the cup and we will drink it in the Father's kingdom. In the kingdom to come. The forward kingdom. And so today, Jesus, by His loving mercy, by His grace, has given us this, that every time we eat it, we remember this in-between age doesn't define us. It doesn't control us. There is more to this life. And this broken body, spilled blood of Christ, is what gives us hope. Is what gives us purpose. Is what encourages us and drives us and energizes us. This Lord's Supper is what draws us to the kingdom to come. Let me pray for us. With our eyes closed, heads bowed, just a moment we will partake of, the, of the, uh, the Lord's Supper, the Supper of our King. And when we do, I'll be standing in the back of the room. Uh, and if you have committed your life to the Lord and you've repented and trusted Him for the forgiveness of your sin, that's your table. And you can dip the bread in the cup and partake of it your family but that's not you I'll just encourage you to remain seated but with our eyes closed now as we as we think about this kingdom to come let me ask you right now just in a moment of of silence when I won't be speaking to to pray the kingdom to come into your life right now to live the gospel to ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate your friendships, your family, your circumstances in this in-between time with the kingdom to come? Would you do that right now? This is also a time for us to prepare to meet our King. So it's a time that we ask Him to search our hearts, to expose unconfessed sin, to expose broken relationships, to expose the lusts of our heart, the greed of our heart, the lies in our mouth, the gluttony in our stomachs, the addictions in our hands, It's a time to confess them to the Lord. It's also a time to receive forgiveness and grace, to live a life that would honor the King and make us prepared to see Him. So I'll pray us into a time where you can do that. And then when you're ready, you're welcome to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're our king. You are holy. You redeem those who have come to you for forgiveness. You guide and lead those who are aimless. You save those that are perishing. You heal those that are afflicted. You bring vengeance and you restore those who have been abused. You encourage the depressed, the downtrodden. You bring justice to, the unjust, to those who are suffering injustice, injustice. We want your kingdom to come here now, today, in our lives. As we prepare our hearts now to partake of your Lord's Supper, I ask that you would search us, free us, heal us, encourage us, give us grace to live a life that is worthy of you. In your good and holy name, amen.